This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show! All right, all right, party people in the place to be. Welcome back to Nerds from the Underground. I'm Johnny, and joining me tonight is the one and only... Hello, I'm Poet Air on Twitter. You could also call me Michael. I'm back to talk about the things I love, which are comics, with Johnny here. Right, right. And we have two really fun, really exciting books to talk about tonight. Uh, what would those be, Michael? We have Freak Angels by Warren Ellis and Paul Duffield. And then we have Coffin Bound by Dan Waters and Danny. Yes, 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 indeed. Two of my utter favorites of all time. One from a couple years ago, and one is my brand new favorite that I cannot shut up about. I mean, I'm pretty sure half of my friends on Twitter want me to shut up. Where were you when I was praising the book like four months ago? Me and Geeky Goddess talking about how much we loved the book and how good it was. I, I fucking love Dan Waters. That guy. I was doing what I normally do, and that is buying the first issue, loving the hell out of it, and then trade waiting for the rest, because I do not have room for more long boxes for floppies. So I do not have room anymore either, so I've, I've reached, your, I've reached your, your place in life. But yeah, diving right on in, like the man said, we have Freak Angels, written by God himself, Warren Ellis, with artwork by Paul Duffield, coloring assistant, Alana Ewan, editor-in-chief, William Christensen. 23 years ago, 12 strange children were born in England at the exact same moment. <laughs> Six years ago, the world ended. This is the story of what happened next. This is the story of the Freak Angels. This book is so much fun. Yeah, it just takes right off, too. And it just has such a wild cast. Like, all 13 have their picadillos, and two of them are actually evil. I mean... One of them is just kind of a broken person. Are you talking about Luke? No, I'm talking... Well, Luke's kind of broken, too, but I was talking about Mark, because what they did when they accidentally broke the world broke Mark, and that's why he went so bad. Luke... It was kind of a slower trickle, but what Luke ended up doing, I think, was even grosser than anything Mark did, to tell you the truth. I think Luke is probably the grossest character in the book, just kind of how he treats women and people's privacy. Yeah, and it sucks that Warren Ellis made him so fucking funny and almost likable. <laughs> He's definitely, I mean, Warren Ellis makes terrible characters likable by their comedy. I mean, it's always know you're in a good Warren book when you're laughing at things you know you should not be laughing at. But basically, the breakdown of this book is these kids, they were all... All born in England at the exact same moment and they all kind of know each other grow up together and they slowly discover that they all have these extraordinary powers but each of them kind of have their own specialty and you know like normal rebellious teens do they kind of start you know doing it to get things that they want and they attract the government's attention and something very bad happens and they accidentally believe that they broke the world but they just kind of messed up England and basically most of them are very repentant and they decide that they're going to try to protect Whitechapel, London as a penance. And they kind of take on different duties of like one's a watcher, one's a contractor, one's the cop, uh, one's the spaced out hippie that just kind of wanders around and does weird shit. Uh, and um, it, it's very neat and they're all very touching and endearing characters, but just the idea that they think that their powers require them to do some kind of penance makes them all very interesting in my opinion no it's true i i think they're very interesting too and they're all very different and interesting in their own ways some are sweet 
And just the fact of how they all interact with each other as well. Oh, yeah. The conversations between them are hilarious. Especially, is it Kirk in his watchtower when KK comes and tells him that he can he can take some time off in this first book? And just kind of the way he treats her. She's like up down there trying to talk to him. He sprays her with the hose. And they're flipping each other off and cussing at each other. He sprays her with the hose and then he, he gives her shit for not being able to piss in the bucket right <laughs> All that Warren Ellis dialogue that's just amazing. His, uh, his ease about how he pisses and shits in a bucket on top of a building so he can watch the city. And his way of telling other people they have to shit and piss in buckets is so funny. Because he's so casual about it, like it's not a big deal. When they bring up the girl they end up bringing in and helping, and she has to do the watchtower, and he basically tells her that that bucket is her toilet. There's no thing, like, he doesn't think it's weird that he's telling some girl that just came up there that, oh, by the way, you're going to have to piss and shit in a bucket. He's just like, oh, yeah, there's the bathroom, and it's it's uh, it's funny. I forgot about Alice. Alice is basically our point-of-view character. She's this girl. Yeah, she's the audience. She's this girl that gets sent up by Mark from Manchester. And basically, Mark, the estranged brother, the one that kind of kind of goes mad after their incident, he, for some reason, is begrudging to the rest of his siblings. And he slowly sends these people that he has brainwashed to kind of come down and cause trouble. And this girl's one of them. She comes down with this double-barrel shotgun, and she's trying to wreck some stuff. And they ended up, you know, wiping her brain. And she kind of just oddly becomes a part of the troop, even though she has no powers, and kind of becomes their heart and soul and their conscience she's almost the jiminy cricket of the book she truly is and the with i believe like connor's the other heart and soul and that's kind of connor's decision to bring her in because he he seems the most against killing yeah it's kind of funny how kirk and carl are kind of just so cuddly and nice and almost prissy for two punk rockers you know what i mean it's kind of i wonder what you're trying to say there warren are you trying to say punk rockers aren't as tough as they pretend to be (laughs) he might he might be trying to say that also, the interactions between Kirk and Carl are great. And also between, what's the girl with the, the one with the sister with the brothel? Or they're not really related, but. Circa. Circa and her, uh, her partners in Eric. Jack, yeah. He's awesome, Jack, also. He's like their, almost like their cop, their watchman on the boat. Oh, and especially when they get into the stories about like how Jack's mom used to be their drug dealer. And basically like they would all like go and have sex with Jack's mom for free drugs. And they'd all tell him about it yeah. all the time. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, thank you, Warren Ellis. And it's funny because Jack fell in love with someone just like his mom. Yeah. Because Circa is the most like his mother. Everyone's having sex with Circa, and he's still in love with her. Yeah, she's just got like this brothel of just like these like slaves that are down to like do whatever she asks. Even like when the invaders come, like they basically like arm up and become an army, and they got the guns and stuff, and you're just kind of like. Wow, that's convenient. That that's pretty handy there. <laughs> yeah. And then you see the world's biggest Gatlin gun when the boats are coming in in this first book. I was just cracked up when I saw the size of that thing. I was just like, that's that's so dope. And Alice is like first thing is showing them right right along. Kirk and Carl's interactions are always great too. And then you end up finding out they're a couple, which I thought was actually pretty cool. I I thought that that was kind of neat, the little thing to throw in there because that was still kind of a taboo thing in comics at the time. So. Warren kind of just like blatantly making it like that and not yeah, kind yeah. of insinuating, but being like fully like, yeah, these two are together was, I was like, thank you. That, that's, that's cool. That's representation where it's needed. Exactly. And they, they are a lovable duo, definitely. And then the other ball character, Arcady, is great too. And I think that's the space out hippie. I mean, that just kind of walks around trying to do good with her quilted together dress. Basically, she's the key 
to them actually becoming what they're supposed to become. There's an odd quirk to their powers that basically she was the first one to stumble upon on accident. And they all later find out that it was a key component. She just didn't understand what happened to her. So she kind of spaced out and developed more powers. Like she can teleport and do these other things. But they all could if they all were simply to do this one thing that you're kind of not supposed to do in life. Because the the whole thing is, is really neat, the way it's laid out. This book is just incredible. I remember it was a free comic that Warren and Paul put up online. And Every week, man, I rushed yeah. to my computer to get my seven pages of this because it was just a blast. And I've been, I was a Warren Ellis fan for years, and almost right off the bat, this became my favorite work of his. And it, and it still wears that crown. This is my favorite Warren Ellis book. My favorite book from my favorite writer. It, he's my favorite writer. It's definitely up there. Freak Angels might be my two or three. My number one is definitely still Planetary. And I also, Transmet is also up there for me. Those three are probably uh, the more foundational ones. They really, I feel like, have Warren's voice, too. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he really writes himself in a lot of his characters. And even though I, I know that he's probably not homosexual himself or fully, I, I really see the character Kirk as him writing him. No, Kirk is Warren Ellis. Yeah, he, exactly. That's why I love yeah, Kirk. Yeah, he totally wrote himself in as that character. Like, just like how he's Spider-Jerusalem and how he was Dr. Sleepless, like, he, he wrote himself in as Kirk. This series is so good, you guys. I have not read it since when it first came out. And it's so good right now. I'm trying to save money. And I just, while talking to Johnny, remembering it when I first read it, I just downloaded and bought the second volume, which I shouldn't have done. But that's how good Freak Angels is. So I'm imploring all of you to read it. Well, you're the one that basically brought all this on. You told me a couple weeks ago, or was it last week, that Crunchyroll is doing an animated series for this. Yeah, they're doing which, anime. Um, precipitated the whole idea of like oh man we need to talk about freak angels and then we need to get people hyped for this so i don't know I, I can see them stretching the story out a bit longer to actually make a couple seasons out of it where it would be still be watchable and even with new material maybe get warren to write some some middle stories for it yeah it, it's supposed to be premiering next month as long as nothing has been pushed back because of the covid virus we should have the first episode of freak angels on a wednesday during may which I'm really excited about. So it's a mandate. All nerds from the underground fans, you must watch the Freak Angels animated series when it drops. Not only are you like supporting one of our favorite writers' works by watching it, you're supporting Crunchyroll's new stuff, and I think it's such an awesome... I think it's awesome that Crunchyroll is out there reaching out to Warren Ellis and doing works of his anime, and Warren Ellis are two of my favorite things in life for more of anime manga and Warren Ellis, and to see them collaborate more and get more cross together is like a it's like a wet dream for me it's like finding out when i found out a grateful dead shirt company made all the one piece t-shirts i can't believe that two of my favorite things are coalesced like that it's a great thing to see anime in warren ellis and they fit right i think a lot of the best anime has kind of the the kind of voice warren has as well so they go well together well, as far as i know he's he's been a fan of it i know i've watched a couple he's a huge fan of anime yeah. i've watched a couple Sorry, interviews where he's at least talked about really liking like satoshi kun stuff like paranoia agent and paprika so he at least likes the kind of obscure stuff the weird stuff i love paranoia agent i rewatched it recently and it was just like this show would not come out today <laughs> that's all that's all i could think about with paranoia agent it's so good and i'm just like 
I don't know if this will come out today. We have a different climate. I think there would be think pieces on Paranoia Agent if it came out today. It's a Japanese show, so, I mean, I know that they're, the style of anime has changed a lot since when it came out, but I don't know. Like, his work's just so timeless, and he's, you know what I mean? He's like one of those seen as almost like a Neil Gaiman or Grant Morrison type creator over there that, like, even if he came up with it and it was sketchy, some network would run it over there. No, no questions about it if he was still alive and came up with it nowadays i agree yeah i'm excited for the show i can't wait to see how it's interpreted and how someone else handles it so yeah i'm, I'm excited for that to come out well he's done anime stuff before which i kind of really liked i liked most of those marvel animes that he kind of wrote and then sent over to japan for them to adapt into more manga style and then of course castlevania and then gi joe resolute which was great yeah. too which all he i've not even heard of J.O.J. resolute that's an anime that he had something to do with yeah i think madhouse did it and cartoon network aired it it was really it's really cool it's pretty brutal um it's pretty worn lsc it's, it, it's not most apparent that he wrote it but you can see him in there a little bit yeah I, I'm, it's hard getting my uh, my partner, her, into Warren Ellis. She knows I love him. I, honestly, we have a boy. I've talked her into letting us name him Warren, <laughs> which nothing better to have to tag Warren Ellis and be like, Warren was born today, Warren. It's for you. I love, <laughs> are you uh, also, you guys, for just Warren Ellis fans that are listening to Nerds from the Underground, you should all really subscribe to his newsletter. It's great. I've been subscribed to it for quite a few years now. He actually... Me and you talking about him. He never responds on Twitter, but when we were talking about injection I, a few months ago and how we wanted it to get, you know, more injection and we were begging about it, that's when he started talking about it on his newsletter and almost a weekly weekly basis he brings up updates. Or every other week he'll bring up when Declan's going to draw it. And the name of his newsletter is Orbital Operations. It's great. He's a funny guy to just read about what he does daily. He recommends a lot of Art Deco projects and a lot of projects from people he likes and books he's reading. And he also promotes a lot of other artists on there, visual artists a lot of the times, and he'll recommend a lot of writers. That's where I found out him and Ben Percy were good friends. But uh, I definitely recommend – I don't know if you subscribe, Johnny, but Orbital, Orbital Operations is great. Yeah, he's always been the kind of guy that has a handout to other writers. He is quintessential in getting people like Matt Fraction, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Brian Wood, Jason Aaron, Ben Templesmith. Lots of people, like their first really good paying gigs because he saw the potential in them and he, while he was coming up and had his pull, he was like, hey – man like give these kids a shot and look at some of them are the biggest names right now or at least a couple years ago and they still carry some weight with them at least this week or last week he definitely posted ben templesmith's free project that's online right now and he definitely threw shots out to ben a lot i really wish that he uh finished fell but that he did and when his house burned down with all of his manuscripts fell was in the house and he never got back to it which kind of bums me out i don't know he doesn't seem lazy, but it does seem like at his age now that when he writes a lot and has a little creative output, it, he always talks about how it tires him out now more. When he has like a really big creative day, he's kind of drained. But uh, as a person who's created videos, I, I had a bunch of videos that I had a bunch of work on. I had scripted and some of them were actually almost done and my computer died and I lost all steam. I could have remade those videos, sure, but I just... You know, like it just, just takes the wind out of you that you had this done and it was so good. And you're going to have to try to remember what was good about it, you know, because you didn't. Exactly. Exactly. And especially after you move to a new creative project and that's where your heart is now. 
and then that happens to go back and be like, shit, how do I go from this back to that? Which, yeah. Which is a bummer because, yeah, yeah not just Fell. I mean, like Dr. Sleepless, Anna Mercury, ton of his books, um, uh, Desolation Jones. like Desolation Jones, dude. Desolation Jones. Like, never got unfinished endings. Unfinished masterpiece. Yeah, never got. Never. All, and those are all those are all victims of the house yeah. fire. <laughs> that, that's all books that were lost in a fire. And maybe one day we'll get them. Though he's getting older. Some of his better stuff, too, or I don't know. I, I love everything he's done, pretty much, except for maybe... I love everything. Except for maybe Wolfskin. That that one didn't really grab me too much, but, like, every like I've loved pretty much everything he's done, except for maybe some of his stuff he did for money, like X-Men. Yeah, his X-Men books are not great. Especially Ghost Box. His Astonishing X-Men was particularly not great. It was basically just like Warren, like, here's my name on a fucking book. Give me a check, you wankers. Here's <laughs> <laughs> much. <laughs> Warren Ellis is amazing. Yeah, Warren Ellis is God. He is God. I hope you all get on the worst at Warren Ellis training if you haven't already. Read Freak Angels. Read Authority. Read Planetary. Read Transmet. Read Desolation Jones. Read Fell. Read Cemetery Beach. Shipwreck. Read definitely Cemetery Beach. But yeah, you want to get into the next book. The book that I won't shut up about. The book that people on Twitter are telling Let's do me it. that, dude, Johnny, just get off it already. Okay, next up we have Coffin Bound, written by Dan Waters, who is really becoming one of my new favorite writers, with art by Danny. And it is colored by Brad Simpson, lettered by Adita Bidikar and graphic designed by Emma Pierce. Izzy Tyburn has promised the world that if it won't have her in it, it won't have nothing of her at all. Chased by an unstoppable killer, she is retreading her life, leaving nothing behind but burned rubber, ash and sun-scorched bones of those who get in her way. Ride shotgun on an existential road trip through the tangled web of a blood-spattered life. And I just want to read this really fast. Neil Gaiman, the perm himself, says, If you like Dan Walters' work on Lucifer, this is even weirder. <laughs> Neil Gaiman is accusing him, Dan Waters, of stealing his ideas from his dreams. This book is a surreal and beautiful nightmare that is like reminds me of Pete Gaiman and the best Mike Carey. But his voice might even be better. In both of them, I mean, he's still a young writer coming up, but this book, it's just like a dream. Everything I want in comics or in any kind of literature is in this. Like, there's moments where you don't really know what's going on because it's all symbolism. And it's just such a journey through hell and self-identity and self-worth and basically digging yourself out from being a bad person into a better person and fighting for yourself and standing up for yourself when you want to die all at the same time, which is kind of Izzy's whole journey in this. She wants to die. But she still has things to live for, and then she just has become such a strong fighter dealing with abuse, her relationship with Polly Starlight, and kind of being controlled by him, and seeing how manipulative he is, and watching him just tear down her world, while literally the, the Dirt Eater is chasing her, death itself is chasing her at the same time. The art is beautiful by Danny, the visuals are just so striking, and it just, these are what my dreams are like. They're not always good dreams, but they always leave an impression. This is a Vertigo book, right? Like, when you read this, the first thing you thought is, like, dude, this is a Golden Age Vertigo book. But This written, is a Golden Age Vertigo book, yeah. End of story. And for me, I, I kind of get what you're saying, but it touches on almost a Clive Barker level of existential horror, while at the same time... Oh, yeah, it's I would have compared it to Clive Barker also. Definitely. While at the same time having, like, this punk rock, live fast, die hard edge, while 
simultaneously having like this really kind of dark psychedelic spiritualism that's like something that you'd get from like one of those acid casualty guys that went too deep and dark uh, into that stuff and like you said it's very dreamlike but it's it's a bad dream it's like you took the brown acid and this poor girl izzy she is just a mess she's so bad that if this took place actually in vertigo and she ran across our homie john constantine he would look at this girl and be like jesus what the hell have you been through that would be John Constantine saying this to this girl, and it would be apt. It would be relevant. I, I agree. I, I had a life-changing trip once, but it was also intense and too much where I can't even explain it because of what I uh, endured and what happened, and uh, that is this book. It's You're very true. It's very much like that. For me, this book kind of really does what like interventionists and other people try to do with the idea of, you know, taking your own life or, you know, like being ready to die and showing it through a microscope in a way that shows you how you hurt people on accident when you think that way and how you destroy lives around you a lot better than, you, you know, the normal, you know, hang in there and all that, the kind of peaceful meditational type stuff. Uh, as a depressed person who's had really bad thoughts, this book actually hit on a better level and showed me more and then, you know, having people try to tell me, you know, hey, you know, you shouldn't think that way because it will make me sad. This book shows you that, like, yeah, you can really want to wipe your existence from the world ever knowing that you were there. But these people that you met, you going and taking the pictures that you took of them when they had a good time with you, that, that that's not helping them. That, that That's actually the complete fucking opposite thing you should be doing. And it really hit me hard. It really hit me in a good place. And it's one of the prime reasons I love it so much. It's a very nasty, very nihilistic book, but it just has almost a strange, disturbing beauty in the middle of it, which... It, it definitely does. I, I, I mean, it's a strange beauty. Like I said, it's almost like a nightmarish beauty. I agree with you, too. As someone that's struggled with depression and manic problems and stuff like that, that my... Definitely anytime I was more suicidal or had more issues in my past, when I saw the destructive way suicide or being self-harm could be and harm not just the people around you, but the literal environment you're in and how it kind of disrupts it, it is really kind of captured in this. And I could see how you saw that as well. Plus, man, that character Vulture, I don't know why, but I... I... I love it. Like, I'm actually probably going to get him tattooed on me. Like, I, for some reason, he's kind of just become my spirit animal. Vulture's awesome. He's a great co-pilot. And that's why I'm dying for more issues, because I want to know the relevance of the bird and the bird masks that are so prevalent in this book. Because the imp In the whole book, yeah. Because the imperfects wear them, and then she makes them when they go and kill them. And she says that it's part of what she needs to be able to murder, which... It was very interesting, but they didn't go into it, which I love. But at the same time, I'm like, I want to know. Please write more issues, Dan. He did. I mean, the, before all the shit happened that's happening right now, the apocalypse we're living in, the next issue was supposed to come out in June. Cool. So, I, so that means that it's written and probably drawn. So that, that means it'll come out when... I hope so. It's a much better use of Danny's talents than the other book she's on. I'll have to check that out just to look at her art because it is... Oh, I've kept on. I've kept on for her art. The story's not there. Her art great. is extremely beautiful and extremely vertigo. It's the vertigo I grew up with. You're, it's the complete kind of vertigo I style that I fell in love with when I was young. And I still love. It's still my favorite books to reread is art styles like that. It's like old Sandman, 
old ass, uh, even stuff that's not Vertigo, old ass. Uh, right now, I'm rereading all of Jamie Delano's Hellblazer and Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, and that's like pre Vertigo, but that's Vertigo. That's prototype Vertigo. It's prototype Vertigo, but that's the kind of art that's in that. It's really stuff I fucking love. Like it just completely just sucks me into the story. I told you I had a conspiracy theory for you, and this is it. I think that originally Dan pitched this to DC. Oh, I think it's probably did on too. Lucifer and stuff, and this would fit so well in in the Sandman universe. And I would say that Jim Lee and Dan Dildo, in their infinite stupidity, decided that like. Oh, we don't think IP sell very well. We just want to pump out the same old thing and put Sandman on the top of it and totally passed on putting out the best book of the year so far. No, it's definitely the best book of the year. I mean, I mean, it was on my top list of last year. It's one of the best books I've read in a very long time, and I can't wait to see where it goes. And Dan Waters is, like you're saying, he is the last three years just become the most promising writer, I think, in the industry. Right now, I love him, but he could be a Warren Ellis in 10 years. I mean, everything he touches is great. I mean, his Lucifer run, I know you haven't read it. I love Mike Carey. I love his Lucifer. It's one of my, like, tomes of just youth and growing up and my love of just literature. It's going to be right there with it. His Lucifer run is so good. And he even came in House of Whispers, which was not that great to start with. He came in on issue four, and the book now is good. I mean, he's even become like a doctor for the Sandman universe. I can believe it. Something's not good, throw Dan Waters in. He kind of came out of nowhere for me, man. I was just kind of like browsing around an LCS. Come across this book called Limbo. It's a image book. Automatically, I'm interested. I love anything they put out. So I'm kind of flipping through it, and it's got this really neat, psychedelic, 80s kind of pulp art. And I'm like, okay, this looks cool. So I brought it, took it home. And immediately I was floored by it. It was incredible. I had a great time. But I didn't hear much from him until last year when I got Deep Roots. And then I was just like, oh my fucking God, this guy is really going to become a part of my gods list. You know, he, this came out. So yeah, I'm going to be getting the Lucifer in the very near future because like you, I love the Mike Carey run. The only reason why I haven't got Dan's run is because I have read some of the subsequent Lucifers and they were toilet to put it nicely oh no yeah until dan's run there's been nothing but garbage since mike left that book i'm definitely gonna get into it because if it's like this but back to vertigo and with you know the lord of lies hell yeah man that's what i'm about i can see waters having a career too like mike carey even becoming like a book writer or a screenwriter kind of like what mike carey's done as mr carey i feel like dan's writing is such a strong voice i mean and even like warren i don't know he, there's just no... I see him more like Grant. He's more like Morrison, man. His stuff is so dark, psychedelic, really surreal, very fever dreamish. I would equate him more to like peak Grant Morrison. But like, yeah, right there with those guys, like Carrie and Morrison and Ellis, like the, they're birds of a feather. You're stealing my dreams, dude. You're stealing my dreams, Dan Wallace. <laughs> Your voice You're stealing my Morrison. dreams, you little <laughs> bastard. I know it's you. I found somebody in there, and I know and I read your book, and oh, you've been stealing them. I mean, another acid trip I've had. I'm pretty sure I saw Grant Morrison above me, staring down, and it was almost like I saw him writing me. Sometimes I think, am I just a Grant Morrison creation? We're all just living in some fucked up Grant Morrison world. 
I would not be surprised. I don't know. I've, I've heard him talk about some of his trips. He met aliens and Jesus and all kinds of cool stuff. Well, he, uh, so yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. He'd be like, maybe you should ask him about that if you ever get to meet him and be like, oh, Jesus, that was you. I remember. I was I, fucking sweaty Vegas night. I was floating. We took acid at the same time and I saw you. I saw you and we took acid. I saw you in the room and I was like, I saw you, Grant. What saw you, Michael? Uh, Are you my creation or am I yours? What is it? Like, I don't know, Grant. Let's go be wizards. I have one more question for you. <laughs> yeah. When you were reading this and you saw Polly Starlight, did you think, oh my God, dude, he drew James Franco in this book? I <laughs> I definitely thought James Franco and also with How He Treats Women, which more recently we found out about Franco, maybe a British person, because Dan Waters is British, maybe a British person that resembles Dan Waters, because he definitely has a scumbag British Kind of like velvet gold mine scumbag vibe to him too, but I, I definitely saw some Franco in there as well. What was that guy's name? He was married to Katy Perry, the comedian dude with the beard. Russell Brand. Yeah, I could either see Russell Brand as as Polly Starlight or James Franco, and I don't know if James Franco is a scumbag or not. I just like the way the character was and how weird he is. I could see James Franco playing the playing it really well. Especially after seeing, like, Beach Bum. And... I don't know if he is either. I, I don't have a problem personally with James Franco. He works a lot. He directs, like, ten films a year. Can't put him down for that. But, I mean, if they tried to adapt this, I wouldn't want to see it. They'd just screw it. After seeing what they did to Preacher, like, I, as much as I love it, and I would like to maybe try to direct it, and I'd be constantly on the phone with David Lynch, you know what I mean? Be like, Dave... Damn it, Chris, quit bothering me. I'm working on something very hard. I'm, I'm like, doing Dave. my paintings. <laughs> but, uh, but Dave, I need help. <laughs> God uh, damn it, Johnny. Stop <laughs> calling me. Uh, but yeah, like I, I would like to try because <laughs> I would like to see somebody do it properly. Like actually just adapt the book, but... Imagine a David Lynch coffin mountain movie. That would be amazing. I would, yeah. If you could talk him into it, I bet you if you showed it to him, he'd be very interested in it. I think he'd like the colors and and the theme of the book. He's a very... when the apocalypse is over, there is a David Lynch festival that happens in Chicago that he runs and organizes with his daughter. Me and you need to go there and hand him a copy of Coffin Mountain and say, please, David, direct this. Oh man, that would be a dream come true. I don't know if I'd be able to talk to him though. I'd just probably be like. Oh, and I'd probably tell them that I am the arm and I sound like this. I was a weird kid in high school that was absolutely obsessed with David Lynch. I was a weird kid in high school that was obsessed with David Lynch, and then I grew up to be a 40-year-old man and still obsessed with David Lynch. So, yeah. I mean, you've always got to be obsessed with David Lynch. <laughs> that was the newest episode of Nerds from the Underground where we talked about freak angels and coffin bound and we had a total blast didn't we michael i had a complete blast i always have a blast talking about comics especially with you hell yeah you can find me on twitter at johnny alpha 81 and on youtube you can find my channel on youtube as graphic vandalism and you can find me on twitter and my name on twitter is poet Air, H-E-I-R, 33. And you can find the show on Twitter at NerdsFrom. We are a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network, and we don't hate if you trade weight. We out. I...